Welcome to the Kinetic Seas Business AI Podcast. This is the podcast about bringing artificial intelligence into your business. My name is Ed Honor and I am your host. In today's episode, we are going to talk about cybersecurity when it comes to AI or AI security in general. Now, I have over 30 years experience as a developer, DBA, and solutions architect, and security is the thing that all of us in the industry like to talk about the least. It's something that your users don't want to deal with, which kind of explains the number of people who have password123 as their password. They don't want to worry about security. They don't want to think about security, but darn, they definitely want their artificial intelligence. So, When I think of cybersecurity in AI, we have to start by thinking of just cybersecurity in general. If you don't have good cybersecurity hygiene in general, it's going to spill over to your to your AI projects, but it's going to get that much worse because there are so many things about AI that make the chief security officer or the IT director who or whoever's responsibility is to secure your data, it's AI is enough to make their head explode. And the first reason for that is open source. Now, I've been with a lot of organizations. I've done co- uh, consulting for government organizations. And I have to tell you, open source software rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Now, should it Maybe, maybe not. Um, One of my clients, we have a rule that if we get the source code to the open source and we can vet it, um, then using open source is no problem. But the problem in the AI world is kind of twofold. One, everything is open source. You're going to find open source everywhere. Uh, There's going to be so much code that you're going to need to review because, look, open source, it makes sense for artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence has a lot of skill sets involved that are very uncommon skill sets. So no one organization, no, no matter how big you are, no matter how much money you have to pay people, no matter how great of a place you are to work, you're not going to be able to re- recruit everybody you need. So you're either going to rely on open source software or you're going to include open source software in the software you are, you develop. Now, if the rule within your organization that open source is fine as long as we have somebody who can review it, the next issue that we're going to run into is that your employees are playing catch up. I started working with artificial intelligence and machine learning in 2018. That might as well have been ancient history. And the things that we did back in 2018, when it was machine learning with convolutional neural networks and recurrent neural networks and doing uh, logistic regression, uh, k-means clustering, all those things that we did like five years ago, they've all been pretty much replaced by the newest technology and the newest transformer technology, the GPT. So your employees are going to be playing catch up. So they're probably going to be jumping into Python. Now, most of the clients I have are Oracle shops because I've been doing Oracle since well before the turn of the century. I've written two books on Oracle. So Oracle is kind of what gets me in the door in a lot of places. If you are a PHP developer or a SQL developer or a PL SQL developer, Python is very foreign to you. 
Um, the first couple of times I started programming in, in Python, I'm like, what kind of crazy town is this? When did indenting start to matter? So if you have the rule that you can use open source software as long as your employees or your developers can go through and take a look and make sure they know what it's going to do, um, you're probably going to have a lot of trouble based on the fact that your employees are all going to be playing catch up. They're going to be learning this as fast as you're doing it. So with your employees playing catch up, the whole concept of you using open source software, um, you're, it's just going to be something that you're going to have to deal with. Now, the other issue is that a lot of Python software uses libraries. And a lot of these libraries that are related to artificial intelligence are written in C or C++. You don't have the source code to that. Now, when you're looking at something like PyTorch, which is the library used for most of the mathematical functions that are done in artificial intelligence, you have a description as to what the function does. You know how to call it. Um, let's say you're averaging gradients or you're doing an something with entropy. Um, that's going to be processed using your NVIDIA, your NVIDIA CUDA drivers, and it's going to be C code. So you're not going to have that code. And even if you did have that code, asking your employees to uh, run through a ton of Python code is bad enough. Now we're going to ask them to run through a ton of uh, C code along with it. So you're going to need to hire consultants. And now the whole concept of hiring consultants is a lot of companies love to use the big consulting firms. And I agree with that. I, I've been part of big consulting firms. I've hired big consulting firms. The problem with artificial intelligence is you do not want everybody learning on the job. This is hard enough already. It's a different way of thinking. So you need to hire consultants that are experienced in artificial intelligence. So in all the presentations I do about security, I always introduce the two consultants you are going to end up hiring Boris and Natasha. And if you don't remember my, if you don't know my reference, just remember that Boris and Natasha and their new consulting company, they are managed by a moose and a squirrel. So you're hiring consultants. You're not going to be able to vet them. You're probably going to be hiring whoever you can find. Um, so your consultants might be a little on the sketchy side. So up until now, we've dealt with your, our normal cybersecurity problems in general. We're introducing open source software whether you like it or not you're going to get pressure from above to implement artificial intelligence which means you're going to need to find a way to deal with the fact that you're using open source software next down the line is your employees are playing catch up so you can't ask them to vet the open source software and you can actually barely um, have them manage the consultants you're going to hire it's uh, trust me um Artificial intelligence does not fall well into an agile methodology. You're not going to be doing, uh, you're not going to have a scrum master and be doing morning stand-up meetings uh, for your AI development projects. They just don't work that way. 
So now you've got your consultants, you've got your employees who are trying to manage them, you're doing a project that's very much not like a project you've ever done before. And then for the next step is that most of your data is going to be in a relational database like Oracle. It might be DB2 if you've been around for a really long time. But for the most part, if you're part of the Fortune 100, you've got an Oracle database somewhere. And so now you're going to need to extract that Oracle database out that data out of the Oracle database in order to use it in your AI projects. So it goes without saying, or unfortunately I haven't said it yet, what we're talking about is we're talking about introducing a security um, related to either something like a chat GPT or a large language model or some generative AI. So I'm assuming that the project that we're walking through at this point is fine-tuning a uh, LLM model. So let's say I've got my company and my company is uh, Kinetic Sprockets and I have got my CEO, Mr. Spacely, and my IT director, George, and then I have my chief security officer, Elroy. Now, I want to teach my large language model, let's say my 70 billion parameter LAMA2 model, I want to talk, I want to teach it everything that there is about manufacturing space sprockets. And the space sprocket technologies are all in my Oracle database, but I need to pull them out of my Oracle database, my nice secure label security, context security, strong password, three-tier architecture database, Oracle, I need to pull it out and put it into text files or what we in the industry have always called flat files. So when I refer to it as a flat file from now on, it's just a text file. So you're gonna need to take some software and you're gonna start pulling data out of the tables in Oracle and you're gonna create what's called a prompt file. Now the prompt file is just kind of in a question answer format so it might say um what is the business of kinetic sprockets and that would be the prompt and then the machine would return kinetic sprockets as a leading manufacturer of space sprockets throughout the solar system and hundreds if not thousands of lines like that of text are required to fine-tune your large language model so you're going to be pulling data out of your nice, secure Oracle database. You're probably going to use an open source project called SQL to Prompt. I, I, at least I hope you use that because that, that is an open source project that I'm working on personally. I'm actually managing it personally. So you use something like SQL to Prompt in order to create this prompt file out of data that's in your Oracle database. So you're no longer... Uh, Elroy, our chief security officer, his head is exploding because they spent so much time over the last 30 years securing that Oracle database, even documents like your text doc or your blob documents, your PDFs, your Word documents. They're all stored in your Oracle database as a blob data in a blob data type. So pulling the data out of Oracle onto a flat file is the next thing you're gonna to have to do. 
So you're going and you're going to end up giving that data to these consultants that you've hired. So this is where the idea of going from zero security to zero trust security comes in. Because let's talk about why it's so important that we're going to extract that data. Well, the first or that we're going to have to secure that data. The first issue is that we have very specific hardware that is required to fine-tune a large language model. And it is uh, GPU-based compute hardware. So it's going to run off of NVIDIA chips because that's who has the best drivers, the CUDA drivers. And it's going to probably, for fine-tuning, you're going to need something like 600 gigabytes minimum of GPU memory. You're probably going to want to have eight H100s or A100s, which are super expensive hardware. Guaranteed, you do not have the hardware that you need in-house. So you're going to have to take your, uh, you're going to have to take this data out of Oracle, and you're going to have to transfer it to a, a cloud host that has this type of hardware that you need. Um, and I'm very familiar with this because one of the Kinetic C's business lines is the Kinetic Cloud, where we actually are a cloud host and clients come to our hardware, upload all of their data, and then train and fine-tune their model. Now, one of the issues with working with cloud hosts, and one of the reasons we formed our own cloud hosting company, is the lack of persistent storage. Every time we have one project where we have 90 million documents and every time we have to go to the cloud host because we can't leave those 90 million documents on the cloud host, we have to re-embed them from scratch. So we have a couple of issues here. We have to send our data to this cloud host and we really don't know all that much about them unless it's kinetic cloud, then you at least know it's me. Uh, you don't know that much about your cloud host and with the exception of Kinetic Cloud, you are going to have to delete your data when you're done with your training session, which is one of the reasons why it's so hard to find cloud hosts. Because if somebody can find the hardware that they need, they usually just grab onto it. And even if they're not using it, they continue to rent it. So we've got this new cloud host. We're moving our data to it. We need some type of zero trust solution to make sure that when the data gets there, uh, the system admin can't steal it, nobody can steal it when it's on its way there, and that everything is gonna be you know, good with the data when it's on the cloud host. So let's talk about what could happen to your data once you pull it out of Oracle, put it in these prompt files. So if, you were, if you're familiar with the historical documentary that I'm referencing, um, Kinetic Sprockets, uh, formerly known as Spacely Sprockets, has a competitor across the street called Cogswell Cogs. And if I was Mr. Cogswell, what I would recommend for Mr. Cogswell to do is steal the prompt file and then poison the prompt file. Now, I am not a big conspiracy theory person, and it took a while to convince me that AI poisoning was even a thing. But then I did it, and I realized, yeah, it's a thing. So with AI poisoning, what 
you're doing is you're making changes to the data inside of the prompt file that you're using for your fine tuning with this uh, explicit reason to mess up the model. So here's an example. So let's say in making our kinetic space sprockets, we have one part that needs to be heated to 200 degrees Celsius. So Mr. Cogswell gets his hands on the uh, prompt training file and every place he sees 200 degrees Celsius, he changes it to 800 degrees Celsius. So now this one part that we're gonna make, that we're going to get our instructions for making out of our new large language model is wrong. It's gonna heat this part to 800 degrees when this part needs to be only heated to 200 degrees. So that's gonna cause all sorts of problems. It's gonna cause failures. It's gonna cause parts to fail later. It's maybe our, our chat bot that we create that talks about the maintenance. Maybe that refers to the, the maximum operating temperature. We've just entered this situation that by making changes to a fairly small amount of data, we can have a big impact on the fine tuning. Now, when I first heard the term AI poisoning, I kind of laughed because when you think about training, the base training of a large language model, you're using petabytes of data. So the idea that you could poison the training of a base model is actually kind of ludicrous. It's, it would be really hard for you to make so many changes to the data that you could affect how a base model is gonna perform. But fine tuning is different. Fine tuning is where we are taking that initial base model and we're applying our own data to it, our own, and we're creating our own weights and biases in the neural network. And we're doing it with much less data. So all we have to do is change a few things in a few places and we've poisoned the AI. So back to Mr. Cogswell. So what I would recommend Mr. Cogswell do is steal the prompt file, give it back to them or give them a copy back with some poison data so that we now, our, the large language model is giving really bad advice. And then once the training is complete, I would also steal the weights and biases. And that comes to our last issue, which is securing your results. So at this point, we've decided that we're gonna uh, train a large language model. We're gonna extract a bunch of software out of, or a bunch of data out of our Oracle database and we're gonna make these prompt files. Then we're gonna transfer the prompt files to our cloud host and then on the cloud host, the GPU cloud host, we're gonna train the model to create a new weights and biases file. That weights and biases file is very valuable um, if it was created without poison data. So, so I'm actually gonna go back and say, if you poison the data, you probably do not wanna steal the weights in the biases file because fixing it would be harder than just retraining. But another area of concern in the cybersecurity of large language models or GPTs is how are you gonna secure those results? So initially you get the result back and it is a bunch of weights and biases that are applied to what your, um, that are applied to give the model information, the information that you added. And then if 
you've fine-tuned properly and successfully, the next thing you're gonna do is you're gonna merge those weights and biases into the base model. So now you've got your own LLM and you need to have a place to secure it and to run it. Now again, you can run inference, which is inference is the running of the model. You can run inference on your cloud host. We look forward to having you at kineticcloud.ai. Or you can um, build your own infrastructure, your own in-house infrastructure. If that is the case and you're building your own in-house infrastructure, also contact us at kineticcloud.ai because we can build an inference system for you that allows you to run your model. But it's critical again that this large language model that has got your company data in it be secured. It needs to be secured as much as anything else you have. Because if somebody hacks your Oracle database, they have to know their way around Oracle. If somebody gets their uh, hands on your large language model, they just need to start asking it questions and it will answer the questions for you. So this is my brief overview of cybersecurity as it relates to AI. Now again, there are things when you, go, when you start doing artificial intelligence that you're definitely not gonna like, your chief security officer isn't gonna like, you're not gonna like the fact that you gotta use open source software, so you need to find a workaround for it. You're not gonna like the fact that you're gonna have to extract all your data out of your nice secure Oracle database and put it in these text files. You're not gonna be happy about your having to use a new cloud host and send all of your proprietary data to that cloud host. So, and then you're not gonna be necessarily all that happy with having to build your own new infrastructure. So that's it for this episode. I hope I conveyed some useful information. Uh, join me next time when we talk about the hardware the differences in the hardware that are used in artificial intelligence. I hope to see you soon.